the AFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Duck. Thank you so much for tuning in on today's episode. Ash, how are you, mate? Pretty good. Another another win for the Blues, so I'm very, very happy. And Yuri, how are you, mate? Good to have you on our, our show for once. Yeah, absolutely, Callum. Thanks for having me on board. And like Ash as well, pretty chuffed at what happened and still pretty, yeah, still trying to, again, process what went down last Friday night, right? I think there's a certain point where it may have been out of the grasp, but I think throughout the contest as well, there probably wasn't any inkling that they would go away, and that's definitely what told in the end. But, yeah, really looking forward to breaking it all down and also with the prelim finals on the door to look forward to. Absolutely. Unfortunately, I'm feeling a little bit sorry for myself this week with uh, my team, Port Adelaide, going out in straight set. So there's obviously a fair bit to dissect this week uh, with Melbourne and Port Adelaide both going out in straight set. So uh, let's start with Friday night. What a result for Carlton. Uh, When Blake Akers kicked that goal with 56 seconds to go, I was absolutely ecstatic. Um, You know, It's just good to see one of the big Victorian clubs who's been down for so long, you know, obviously get up last week over Sydney, but then be able to back it up with another performance. And um, I know there's been a lot of talk about Melbourne's inaccuracy, but I still think Carlton was the better team on the night and they deserve to to get the chocolates in the end. So, Ash, I'll throw it to you. At the start of the year, or in the middle of the year, I should say, it was Carlton rants every week from Ash. Now it's Ash's uh, happy dance, I suppose. How do you, how are you feeling, mate? Yeah, happy dance for sure. It's uh, it would be pretty funny to sort of look back and at those weekly rants which I was going on mid year and just crazy the turnaround. And um, th- there's not much for me to say because I'm sort of I'm live, living in the moment without sort of you know going back and, and analysing it. Still, still can't believe you know through to a prelim. It's the biggest turnaround. Um, to make a prelim this late in the season from a team that was bottom four. So it's it's crazy to think about. And last time we did it in 1945, we won the flag. So uh, there's no world war this time around, but who knows? We can still potentially make it to the big dance and, and celebrate with a premiership. But, yeah, I, I honestly did not know how we won. I thought Melbourne uh, were, were the better team. I thought we were very lucky to win Melbourne had a lot of chances to put that game away. Lots of, you know, uh, shots on goal, hitting the post and, and bad misses. And then you have Gorn stupidly sort of tapping the ball back in play. I don't know if he thought that it was sort of not going to make the distance or touched by Brody Kemp on the line or whatever it was happening, but sort of, I don't know how he stole that one from Melbourne. Melbourne, um, going inside 50, really fixed up a, a lot of the sort of, uh, a lot of the things that went wrong the previous week against Collingwood that were going at 53% scores per inside 50, which is crazy, well above AFL average, well, whereas Carlton were going at 40%. So 13% difference there was was really big. And also on the turnovers, it was a, a very scrappy game. I know Anthony Kudafidi said it was the best Carlton game he's watched ever, or the best game he's watched ever. I thought it was one of the worst games I've watched ever. The amount of skill errors um, dodgy shanked kicks, drop marks, fumbles of the ball. It, it was really hard to watch. Um, I think Carlton had almost a hundred turnovers in that game. So look, the good thing is it's all fixable. And, and you're, if you're playing bad and still winning in these big games and sort of it gives me, gives me confidence that we can all sort of put it together, hopefully for a big 
game this Saturday against Brisbane. Twilight, um, looking forward to it. Can't wait. I'm not expecting to win, but look, I'm not confident of the result, but I'm confident that we can get it done. So uh, we'll see what happens. And Yuri, any additional thoughts to add to uh, Ash's comments there? Yeah, likewise, Callum and Ash nailed it absolutely on the head. And I think the big part as well that allowed Carlton to get back into it after Melbourne blasted those first three goals was Tom DeConing and his impact throughout the game as well, playing as the second key forward in Harry Mackay's absence, kicked Carlton's first two goals to really get the whole platform up and running. And his marking throughout the game, and which has been a feature since he came back into the side in round 12, has been such a real barometer in the way to really take the pressure off Mark Pitney. And I think early on this season, there was, of course, he missed a bit of time with concussion and had to spend through playing in the VFL. And there was that six-week gap where he was absent, Pitney had to shoulder the ruck, and some of it really fell down from there. But what those two are able to bring in terms of the dynamics with Pitney's physicality is one. He basically wore Max Gorn to the ground as the game gradually progressed. And De Koning's athleticism at ground level, but also airily as well. They're two different components that complement each other exceptionally well. And that's the big thing that's really transcended this momentum wave in a way too. And the big part of it as well comes Saturday night. It's the first final since 2009, the elimination final between Brisbane and Carlton at the Gabba. And, of course, what happened there, the Blues were five goals up early in the last quarter. Cameron Cloak kicked that massive bump from 50 metres and he thought they were going to play the Western Bulldogs the following week in the semi-final. But as we saw, the Brisbane Lions came back and won that game. So those memories, yeah, no Carlton player, of course, played in that game. And it's sort of still one that's going to really sort of drive a lot of incentive in a way too. But the other part to it as well is that Everyone talks about Brisbane's record at the Gabba since 2019, right? Their first finals appearance in a decade and have made finals ever since. 51 wins their last 59 matches. The other point to it, though, is come finals, their record at home isn't that great. So when you put down to just a little bit of context as well for Carlton coming across to Brisbane this Saturday in the Twilight game, they should look at that and really sort of, in a way, be encouraged by the results that opposition sides have had come finals at the Gabba and use that as a real driving tool to hopefully get the win and perhaps, of course, be in the grand final for the first time in 24 years. I think uh, everyone's going to be getting on the the Giants and the um, and the Blues bandwagon this week. So hopefully a couple of, uh, I think it'd be nice for it to have a, at least one upset from the weekend and a lot of uh, people will probably be hoping that it's Carlton, so that could be a Collingwood and and Carlton grand final. Imagine the atmosphere at the G that day. It would be absolutely unreal. But a player that I really want to touch on uh, was Sam Walsh. I thought he was outstanding on Friday night for Carlton. 34 disposals, 17 kicks, 17 handballs, two goals as well, eight tackles um, as well. So if you had him uh, in the regular season for fantasy, it would have been a big score. But he was. I feel like this kid is just born to play finals. Um, we've seen, you know, the young players from Port Adelaide in the same draft, Rosie and Butters, probably not cope with the finals pressure as well this time. They've done well previously, but in this particular final series, they haven't coped with the pressure. But Sam Walsh is just a player that's built for finals. His electric leg speed and another player with electric leg speed that I do want to talk about 
is Blake Akers. He's got to be up there for recruit of the year, our future third round pick. And we've seen some of the problems that Fremantle have had this year, transitioning the ball from D5, uh, defensive 50 to attacking 50. And, you know, Blake Akers as that link man, I think it was um, significantly missed for Fremantle this year. And just obviously a big mismanagement on Fremantle's behalf. So I think they'll be looking at uh, Blake Akers' performance over the last two weeks in particular, but obviously across the entire 2023 season. Uh, it's a bargain pick that they gave up for him. It's going to be nothing in the scheme of things. And Carlton are basically into a, a prelim final, not on his back alone, but he's had significant impact over those last uh, couple of weeks as well. Yuri, I'm going to throw this back to you. What does this straight sets um, loss do for Melbourne. It's two years in a row now. We've seen uh, some mismanagement, I suppose, at the trade table with recruiting players for the, I suppose, the wrong reasons in the end, specifically talking about Brody Grundy in this example. Um, do they try and palm off Brody Grundy to the Swans as, a, as it's been heavily reported and try and get in that key fort that they're just crying out for with Ben Brown? Um, not being available, and Tom McDonald probably not living up to his 2021 form. Completely agree with everything you said, Callum. And the Brody Grundy one was basically almost a foregone conclusion when he was dropped at the end of round 16 to that loss against GWS up in the Northern Territory, right? And sadly, it was almost that partnership which Melbourne had envisaged probably at least for the next three to four seasons, which could really take them once more to the promised land. But Ultimately, that isn't to be. And I think anyway for Brody to Grundy and getting a fresh start again and being most likely heading to the Sydney Swans anyway is that he can take back the number one mantle, Ruckman role, and also being part of a, well, a non-football state too, as in Sydney, that can really help him flourish yet again. That's going to be a real key, I think, to him recapturing that All-Australian form from about 2018, 2019, around that time where, of course, when he was at Collingwood and they were competing for those premierships. But the other part to it for Melbourne as well is I think it's more lapses, Callum, in a way, with them. There's certain patches during games where you think, oh, they're just going to tear apart the opposition. Like, take, for example, last year against Brisbane. They have a 28-point lead during the second quarter. You think at that point, right, with all the momentum on their side, they're dominating inside 50s, contested possessions, clearances, and especially contested ball, which is their strong aspect out of every single facet of the game. That completely goes missing, and ultimately it's too late. Well, the same thing happened once more on Friday night against Carlton. There's that lapse there, I think, the second quarter, even though they didn't trail by three or four goals. It's those little just sort of mishaps in a way that they tend to just find themselves in and sort of in a way that's what happens when you win a premiership right sometimes you can get very lackadaisical you can almost take your foot off the accelerator because you almost think as though it's going to happen it's almost the inevitable but it doesn't happen like that anymore it's completely different for since about 2015 where every single side is in it right now and you can't afford to basically have one misstep whatsoever. And that's where I think Melbourne have had those issues. And the forward line in terms of, well, their forward supply, that's not the problem. When you generate 54, 55 inside 50s per game, it's how you're directing those kicks though. That's where the whole crux of everything lies down to. Because 
think when you look at the first half of their premiership campaign two years ago, their scoring output was average, so on. And then really from the midway point all the way through to the premiership, I think the Geelong game, they scored about it was 120 points or something. The Western Bulldogs game, they scored 140. And you think at that point, right, they'll, I think it was 510 to 9-5 or something midway through our third quarter. And then that crazy 16-goal patch to basically end, kill off the contest, right? They can do that. They can score in spades. But here again lies the issue is that their whole 454 raise is what lets them down and ultimately undoes all the hard work. So, Think in terms of what they do with the Fords. They've already found a very good player who's going to be such a big component of their future, Jacob Van Roy. There's no doubt about that. Tom McDonald, of course, he had ankle surgery and he wasn't, he was way below his best, unfortunately. So hopefully a healthier preseason as well and get his body back in peak condition can at least give him one more go to really supply that key forward role. And Ben Brown, well, that's the other conundrum to it all, isn't it? Trying to find a spot where he really fits in amongst Melbourne's Ford stocks because they've already got Bailey Fritch there, who's a consistent contributor. Kate Chandler had a very good season. Cosy Pickett, most people talk about, goes in and out of games or missed the first round of next season. Those two are exceptionally important to Melbourne's Ford structure. So it's more just, again, count to really tie it all together. It's the supply going inside of 50 that they really need to fix up. Yeah, I just wanted to follow on from that, um, Yuri, and talk about Cozzy Pickett. Uh, some really undisciplined actions on, on Friday night and obviously got a week for, for bumping Paddy Cripps high off the ball. We talked about protection of the head being so critical. Class action lawsuit is inevitably coming for the AFL. I think it's getting um, gl- uh, glossed over that you know, that act only got one week and Cozzy is a serial offender in this particular type of action. We look back, I still think the one at the beginning of the year to only get two weeks was absolutely ridiculous. And Shane McAdam was a scapegoat in that one and he did far worse, uh, far less, I should say, and got a big, even bigger penalty. Ash, how do you sort of, view this Cozzy Pickett suspension as it kind of being swept under the rug because they're not actually playing in a prelim? Probably. But I guess to the same extent if they were playing in a prelim and Cozzy was suspended for more than one week and then potentially misses the granny, then you have sort of the whole other conversation similar to, to Braden Maynard. But, but I agree, you know, and even, I mean, I've got sort of bias as a Carlton supporter, but Jordan Boyd getting three weeks for a perfectly normal tackle in my opinion, whereas Cosby's done it multiple times in one season, getting suspended, leaves the air, leads him with his shoulder, hits another player higher. It, it just makes no sense to me. It's never made sense to me. This entire year has been a farce in terms of tribunal decisions and the MRO. Uh, what, what more can you expect, to be honest? Uh, I'd be surprised if I said that I was shocked because I'm not. And Yuri, any additional thoughts on Cosby Pickett? Likewise, Callum, and as Ash said, there was two other separate instances as well, both on Mitch McGovern, right? The jumper punch in the first quarter, which ended up being a free kick to Carlton because Melbourne having a shot on goal, and he inexplicably committed another appalling act in a way. And there was also that Shepherd, right, which Mitch McGovern laid on and Cosy clocked him on the back of the head, and nothing was called about that, right? So three separate instances. Two of them were basically, what, 
$2,000 fines downgraded to about 1500 Again, that's sort of incomprehensible in a way too, considering, of course, earlier this season, as already touched upon with the high bump on Bailey Smith in the opening round, is that you've got to put all those incidents together. And the Crips one, okay, that's bad enough as it is. But the McGovern one was a clear smack to the throat region, which automatically gives you either one or two game suspension. The other high cheap shot on McGovern again, I think during the third quarter, that's also another one to two game suspension as well. You add all those up and that should be him missing the opening month of next season, right? And just, you almost think in a way too, there's a sort of a bias, you can call it too, a bit of leniency towards certain players and that's not really fair on the system, right, isn't it? It's not fair on the player and it, it happens all the time, right? And even going back to what, I think it was the 2003 final series, right, with Anthony Rocker, I'm pretty sure, got suspended for the grand final against Port during the prelim final against Port Adelaide and sadly wasn't, be, wasn't able to play in the ultimate deciding game of the season. So just instance like that, right, you've got to take away from the play, the status, et cetera, et cetera, and just make it a fair enough assessment for all players, right? And that's where a bit more consideration, I think, needs to take place. Yeah, I pretty much echo the thoughts of what you you boys have said. You pretty well hit it, hit the nail on the head. And uh, we wish Carlton good luck on uh, Saturday night against Brisbane. But let's move into the other game now. And um, I was pretty shattered on Saturday night watching my team um, lose at home uh, to a team that I expected to to push us, but I still thought Port would you know, eventually be the better side overall. But um, you just knew being at the ground halfway through that second quarter, you just knew it was done. And to be perfectly honest, 23 points was flattering to Port Adelaide. Uh, Both teams missed a lot of shots that they, I would say, were give me sort of shots. Um, But our midfield did not come to play. And uh, I feel like there was just too much emphasis on Rosie Butters and, and Horn Francis. Um, but the Giants were sensational. Their their midfield was able to continuously win clearance. If you beat Port Adelaide in clearance, you beat Port Adelaide in the game. That's been a, a well-known trend for the last probably four years in particular with Port Adelaide because they are a front-half team. They are a locket-in-their-front-half team and go keep going to work, forward pressure, keep going to work. Um, you know, it was just so disheartening. And when the Giants were able to win clearance, they were able to spread. They had so much leg speed. Some of our players looked extremely lethargic, extremely tired. And I'm channeling Ash and having a bit of a Port Adelaide rant for for once, but um, I was just shattered. Um, There was 45,000 people in the ground and I reckon probably – you know, one to 2,000 were there supporting GWS. Everything was in Port's favour, the home ground, the home crowd. Um, it was hyped up, but you got to, I've got to give credit to GWS. They were sensational and our boys didn't come to play. Um, and it leaves a lot of questions as a Port Adelaide supporter. Obviously, there's been talk about sacking Ken after he signed a, a contract extension uh, a couple of weeks ago and, I look, 
I think it's the coach's responsibility to get his players fired up for a game, but at the same time, it's the player's job to, you know, come to play on, on the, the given day. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, that it, it wasn't a good final series for Port Adelaide after they lost to, to Brisbane up at the Gabba. And I don't think anyone was expecting them to win at the Gabba, but I think, you know, our the Adelaide public was expecting Port to push Brisbane at the Gabba. Did in the first half, second half, not so much. But, um, yeah, it just wasn't good. Um, how did you sum up the game on Saturday night, Yuri? Yeah, it was sort of in a way, so you absolutely nailed on the head, Callum. By midway through our second quarter, it almost felt pretty inevitable that the Giants were going to win. And the scoring shots were about, I think, 20 to 11 at halftime. It was 9-11 to 5-6 at the main break. But those nine goals, 11, there was a patch that I think the Giants missed about six or seven consecutive shots, which were all gettable opportunities, which they could have been 50, 55 points up at halftime. And that's just the dominance that the Giants had right throughout the contest. And the clearances, as you spoke about, Callum, too, was just a complete obliteration at halftime. It was 29 to 12. It was 17 to 6 at quarter time. And it just got worse from there. And Stephen Cornelia and also with... Lockie Whitfield, just sensational off half back. And Tom Green was just an absolute workhorse, as he always is, with his contested work. And also Callum Ward was spectacular again. And he's ageless, that guy. 33 years of age, and he could keep playing for another seven, eight years if he wants to. Seriously, he's injury-free and just gives it his heart and soul week in, week out. And that's all he can do. And I think this is also a real part as well for Port Adelaide is where do they add more depth in their midfield? That's going to be the real question mark because now they've at least addressed at this stage the backline and although the deals aren't sort of sealed in the works yet, they're already, you can say, halfway there with Brandon Zerk Thatcher and Asaba Radagalia and also Jordan Sweet requesting to all come to, to the club. But the part is as well, where do they get more nucleus through their midfield to make it a more deeper lay instead of having to constantly rely upon Zach Butters, Jason Horn Francis and Connor Rosie week in, week out to do all the grunt work and also on the outside too. That's the big part to it all. And the disposal count was pretty telling too. I think it was plus 95 to Giants way, 384 to 289. And the second consecutive week, Port Adelaide, I think were basically held under 300 touches per game, which isn't really like them though. They like to, at times, possess the ball, even though they're territorial 450 side, but they want to use as much of their attacking free reign as possible. And the Giants were able to stymie that by the end of the first quarter, right? They were able to block out those corridor entrances, which Port Adelaide were able to bisect with some ease in a way too. So those are some of the real sort of question marks in a way too and areas that they need to address during this offseason, I think, Callum. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think Asaba Radagalia will be a welcome addition to Port Adelaide. Um, I'm personally not super big on Zerk Thatcher. Um, if you look at statistics, he's had 53 goals on kicked on him this year, which is the most of any key back in the comp. But I think just to counter that point, Zerk Thatcher is not coming to be your number one key defender like he is at Essendon. He's coming to be your number two with Asava Radagalia to be your number one, take those big tall forwards, those Tom Lynch types, um, Tom Hawkins, all those kinds of big body players that you talk about, 
And then that allows Aaliyah Aaliyah to zone off and, you know, be that intercepting player that we know him so well to be um, in his three years at Port Adelaide. So uh, in terms of how the midfield can get better, I think having Jason Horn Francis to do a proper full-on preseason because he had two knee surgeries in the um, in the off-season after transferring from North Melbourne. Um, and Ollie Wines didn't have a preseason as well. And I think the mismanagement of Ollie Wines, um, him playing out on a wing so often was, um, you know, part of the reasons why he didn't have um, a very good season, to be perfectly honest. And he's fully admitted that in the media as well. Um, so I think, you know, just being able to rotate that midfield mix a little bit more, Ollie Wines being fit, Jason Horn Francis being fit, uh, Willem Drew obviously does really good shutdown roles, um, you know, unfortunately didn't go successfully well on Tom Green, but I thought um, Willem Drew tried super hard. And I think something that I would like to see happen at, at some point would be guys like Miles Bergman and Ryan Burton being able to push up into those wings. And um, I think as well, just having some more high half forwards, you know, Sam Palpepper's done a really good job for Port, but just having another one that can sort of play that similar role as well. Um, you know, I'm pretty big on a Razio Fantasia if he can get his body fit as well. So, um, yeah, it wasn't great. And the, look, one of the other things that contributed to Port's uh, lack of success on the weekend was just picking blokes who were unfit um, in the scheme of things. It was not the right decision to play Charlie, even though we kind of needed to roll the dice. Uh, it probably wasn't the right decision to play Todd Marshall, and I don't think playing you know, um, Jeremy Finlayson as the sub was, was the right move in that point. But you'll get... Um, Mitch Georgiades back next year. Um, Tom Cleary will be back next year to strengthen the defence as well, to be that sort of third tall and um, play on that lockdown sort of player as well. But, yeah, there's I still feel like there's scope for Port Adelaide to improve. I still wish Grundy was coming to Port, but at the same time, if he's not 100% invested in football, um, when you're getting paid close to a million bucks, then... Um, I feel like that says it all, really. Ash, do you have any additional thoughts to add to um, the performance on the weekend from both Port Adelaide and the Giants? Um, more from the sort of Port Adelaide side, I have a question for you, Calum. Do you, what is your uh, sort of opinion looking back at the decision to extend Ken Hinckley? Do you have any sort of changes in, in your view for that? Or if I remember correctly, sort of you're backing him, you know, not not too heavily, but you were not disappointed to see him get an extension. For me, sort of from the outside looking in, um, Ken Hinckley has been coaching for 11 years, Port, and they haven't uh, made a grand final at all since then. They've only won a final, two finals, I think, his entire tenure. So I'm curious to see, do you think if the board or whoever it is making these decisions had their time again, do you think they would be so quick to extend Ken Hinckley? Um, it's a very difficult one to answer because at the time that Ken did sign the contract, they were on track for a top two finish. Um, but yeah, obviously they weren't a- able to to get that home fi- initial home final. Um, and I think if they had played Brisbane here, it would have been a sixty forty game that Port was um 
favorites, I suppose. But the thing that I suppose I look at is, is there anyone that's genuinely better than Ken Hinckley out there right now? Um, there's been a lot of talk that Josh Carr's been doing a lot of the tactical coaching, uh, whereas Ken's been focusing on those player relationships, which he's so renowned for. Um, there's no experienced coaches out there. Um, you know, they could have tried and got, you know, former premiership player Damien Hardwick to to be a coach, but I don't think he would have wanted to I don't think he would have wanted to to come here um personally. But um look if Port don't get some good results next year, I would personally say that Ken is in a bit of trouble next year. Um he's obviously got the two years, but um let's say they missed the eight last year. I think the club's got no choice in letting him go. Um, if they made the finals, he probably sticks around. Um, the club's not made of money, unfortunately. They don't have the um, the funds like a West Coast or a Collingwood or one of those bigger Victorian clubs to be able to pay, pay someone like Ken out. And I'm not sure the monetary figure that Ken would be on either. But, um, look, I think you have to back him in at this point. You're all chips in. You're going to get some good trade um, targets. You know, you're probably going to get, um, you know, some some good South. I think there's some really good South Australian kids in the in the draft that the club's going to target, and uh, a fair core of the team is sort of that twenty twenty one to twenty five sort of range. So I think you got to back them in um, to get the best out of the group, and I think it's just more getting those extra pieces of the puzzle that will really help Ken. Um, and I think if Port was fully fit on the weekend, then that game's probably a bit of a, a different story. And I think Port just peaked too early this year. That's probably what I have to say about it at the moment. So let's look ahead to the games on the weekend. Collingwood and GWS on Friday night. I feel like this has been an absolute stitch up for the GWS Giants getting a six-day break. Um, but I feel like with their talent... Um, and their attitude that they've got at the moment, the anywhere, anytime mentality. They've won at 11 venues this year, which is which is absolutely outstanding. Um, I think Collingwood will still win. I think the Giants' bandwagon will come to an end, but I'm expecting the Giants to push them. I'm probably saying Collingwood by 17. I'm probably saying by about 17 points. That's probably where I'm leaning at the moment. Yuri, what are your thoughts about Friday's matchup? It's going to be exceptionally close, Callum. And the Sards have played two finals, the 2018 semifinal, which also was exceptionally close. The Magpies won by 10 points. And the year later, the prelim final, which the Giants won by four points. And that was without Toby Green too, who was serving that suspension for an eye-gouging incident on Lockie Neal during the semifinal clash against Brisbane the week before. When you look at that, though, now is... The matchup between Brayden Maynard and Toby Green, which has been written about so far this week and how salivating that matchup is on paper, and it should be anyway because Brayden Maynard is the heart and soul of the Collingwood Football Club and what he's able to do in shutdown roles, in negating the opposition's best small forward and most dangerous is really one of the real sort of barometers in how Collingwood are able to go about it too, and especially with having got up against Toby Green, not for the first time in his career. And Toby, of course, kicking 60-plus goals for the first time in his career. 
it's going to be a real sort of, I think, a real ploy for Braden to not get sucked into the contest too much because that's where Toby loves to do his work is when he can find space and especially where his opponent gets caught napping. And that's where he absolutely hurts opponents. And he did that to Jimmy Webster in the St. Kilda clash as well. He did it last week as well. I think Ryan Burton was playing on him as well last Saturday night. And he was just able to find time and space. And you can't afford to give Green that amount of luxury, right? And that's going to be such a big key for Collingwood too. The other part to it as well, especially for Fords, is not allowing for Sam Taylor and Jack Buckley to roam free and intercept Mark and just bomb these up and under balls, which they don't normally do anyway, Collingwood, but they can't fall bank trap into that scenario. If, say, Bobby Hill gets into the game early like he did against Melbourne with the first two goals inside the opening five minutes, that's going to be such a big impactful comp- contribution for Collingwood. And think also, too, with the speed and basically both teams' game plans aligned to one another. They love to get speed on the ball and really use their attacking weapons as well off halfback in Collingwood's case with Isaac Quainer and with the Giants, as we all know, with Lockie Ash and also Connor Iden can do that role too and Lockie Whitfield. So it's a real similar dynamics with both sides, which makes it such a immersing matchup on paper and one that you almost look at it though. And yes, Collingwood have had that longer break anyway, but the Giants are spurred on by this whole giant wave for the last basically 13, 14 weeks where they've been in this finals mode where they've had to win every single game to be in finals contention, and they've done that. So they've basically instilled this ploy of having no fear and just going into the cauldron, that is the MCG on Friday night in front of what's essentially going to be 100,000 people and 99.99% of those are going to be Collingwood supporters. But that won't distract them in any form or shape whatsoever because it's already the experience that the group has built. And Toby Green said this as well only a couple of weeks ago during an interview about it. Strangely enough, he said it was the least talented side, but the most willing side he's ever been in terms of basically playing as a team, right? Doesn't that say it all, though? Certainly does, mate. It certainly does. Um, I think a matchup that is going to be quite telling in all of this will be uh, Kieran Briggs against uh, Darcy Cameron and and Mason Cox. I think um, Briggs has a big job to do. Um, You know, I think both midfields are relatively even. So I think whoever gets, um, you know, ahead in the, in the ruck is going to, that's going to have a big say in in the game. And I think with just following on from your point, Yuri, about um, Maynard and, and Green, one thing that you can't do is you can't let Toby Green get over the back and watching Ryan Burden play on him um, on Saturday night, you know, Toby Green got out the back probably three or four times in the first half. And um, I think Burden did a pretty good job in the in the second half to uh, contain his influence. But that's when Port started to actually play a little bit better in the scheme of things. So uh, that's going to be a critical Matchup, and I think the one that I'm actually really looking forward to will be Jesse Hogan and uh, Darcy Moore. I think going head to head, Moore likes to to peel off and intercept, as we well know. But Hogan loves to come at the ball carrier, get on the lead, and 
you know, I think that's really going to test Darcy Moore because Darcy Moore does like to play back shoulder. Uh, so that's going to be something pretty critical to watch on Friday night. Ash, any additional thoughts, mate? No, I think you guys have covered it pretty well. All righty, let's move into the next quali- uh, next preliminary final, I should say, and that's Brisbane and Carlton. And um, I think this one has the potential to be extremely close or it could be a blowout more so than the other game. Um, I would obviously love Carlton to make a contest of it, but as we talked about, I think Brisbane at home is uh, one of the hardest road trips, I suppose, to make in football. We've talked about, you know, Brisbane's finals record since 2019 not being fantastic, but at the same time, no one's beaten them at the Gabba this year. I don't think Carlton travelled up to the Gabba during the regular um, the regular season, and their only encounter was at Marvel back in round nine when everyone was getting on the uh, sack boss bandwagon. So um, I think a lot has changed since these last two, the, the sides last met. Um, and I think it's going to be, once again, it's going to be midfield, it's going to be clearance, and uh, it will be very interesting to see whether Jack Payne gets up for Saturday night. You know that Mackay is going to play, and I think Charlie Kerno is going to have to kick at least four or five goals for for Carlton to be well and truly in this game. And since Kerno won the Coleman, um, he hasn't really touched the ball. You know, he obviously has the potential to rip a game apart. So does Harry Mackay. But I think Jack Martin's going to be the one one to watch. Um, you know, I think that third sort of tall player that can um, play tall but also play small. Um, is going to be crucial. And I think there's an opportunity to really wear down Oscar McInerney with the combination of Pidnet and uh, Deconing in the ruck. So, Ash, what are your thoughts and um, what factors are really going to decide this game up at the Gabba? Yeah, well, well I'm pumped. Uh, disappointing that the game is not going to be in Melbourne, but sort of what can you do? Uh, look, to think that sort of we've gone, gone this far uh, to a prelim and – uh, Mackay and Kerno have combined for just two goals across the last two games. I think it really tells you that there's another step to go. So factor in all the poor ball use and skills, factor in the, um, you know, that our two key forwards have had barely any influence whatsoever. I can feel that there's just another level to go to. And so we've been able to take it up to Sydney and Melbourne so far. If we bring the other level, I've no doubt that we can win away, even if it's at Brisbane. I don't think we necessarily win, but we can. So I think uh, I'm very bullish on our chances, but <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. I think individually, uh, Carlton probably cover Brisbane, you know, in terms of the A graders, those who have had really standout performances across the last few finals, across the back end of the year. We've seen, you know, guys like Docky really step up. Nick Newman has become, you know, all-Australian form. Jacob Wiedem should have been All-Australian by now, three years in a row robbed. Um, Callum, you touched on Black Acres, but, you know, you have other guys like Cherry who's probably going to win our best and fairest. who probably isn't being talked about enough. Callum, you also touched on sort of Walsh. Whereas I sort of look at Brisbane, and they have a, a lot of role players, and I think most of them sort of in their forward half. So if we can keep their dangerous smalls and their key forward pair sort of relatively quiet. I'm not sure exactly if Jack Gunston is going to play, but I don't think he's going to play a major factor in this game. I think if we can keep 
if our back line can get on top of their forward line, then uh, it, it should go in our favour, and I'm very bullish in our chances. But like I said, they have a lot of dangerous smalls. Um, Cameron has been huge for them, uh, Bailey as well, uh, McCarthy, uh, Rayner, McCluggage, and then also Hipwood and Danaher. So um, they're a very potent forward line, and they're probably the only team probably from the top eight originally that sort of had as many options to goal as them. So if we can keep them quiet, get on top of them in the midfield, Harry and Charlie have a big day out, hopefully we win. Do you think Gunston actually plays? Because I would find it very hard for them to pick him now. And if you did pick him now, then who do you leave out? It's just always a tough uh, selection when it comes to those finals, particularly if blokes such as Gunston haven't played for a significant period of time. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he will play. And I reckon there's a pretty good chance because they're currently going four tools on the back line. If Gunston doesn't play, then I reckon we go a bit smaller. Um, you know, Doherty's been playing wing for sort of the back end of the years. Potentially, we shift him back, or um, Zach Fisher, who sort of will see. It's a I'm not a massive fan of that. Jordan Boyd is a great lockdown defender, but he hasn't played a lot of footy. So we've got a lot of options down there, or we could keep it with the sort of tall lineup already. But it's going to be pretty hot. It's a smaller sort of ground, so two different factors there. And uh, I'm glad I'm not making these selection decisions. And Yuri, do you have any additional thoughts to add to what Ashes? Already talked about. Yeah, absolutely, Callum. I think if Carlton make it more of a rugged, contested game and not allow Brisbane to use their outside spread, they're going to be in the contest for longer. That's going to be such a key component because the round eight clash, Callum, where for at least a half it was close, they were able to keep it in tight. But then come the second half, Brisbane just blitzed the Blues apart and it was basically almost a mere formality that they're going to canter away with the four points. But we didn't sort of have too many contributors that night, though, apart from Adam Chera's 33 touches and the goal that game. And he was by far best player in that clash too and arguably got, well, wouldn't say got the three Brownlow votes anyway because Josh Dunkley was best on field that night too, holding Patrick Cripps just 17 touches. Then the clearances as well, which you also touched upon, Ash, is that Brisbane were number one during the home and away season in that category. And Carlton's also a very good clearance team. So that's going to play a big factor in who can generate more of that supply and first use out of the middle. That's going to be so instrumental. And I think this is something that probably gets touched upon at various stages is maybe Brisbane's lack of midfield leg speed is maybe just a little bit of an issue. It's not a lot, but it's something where teams have look to exploit Brisbane, especially when the Lions have played away from the Gabba, is that they'll try and use as much as they can to run them off their feet. Even though Carlton, in terms of, of course, with Patrick Cripps, George Hill, Adam Chera, they're not exceptionally quick, though, and that's where Sam Walsh, as we've already talked about on the podcast, has that different dynamic to him. He can not only just play contested, but also play on the outside, too, and that's where I think it's going to be so key for Carlton just to get on top of the contested ball and the clearances and also inside 50s too because Brisbane generate a lot of marks inside their forward half and it's about 14 or 15 per game. So if Carlton can minimise that down too and if, of course, Weidering does the job on Joe Danaher and who plays on Charlie Cameron, that could be either a mix of Adam Sard, Alex Chincotta or Mitch McGovern. McGovern at various times has been known to play on small forward. So there's a bit of a flexibility there too to try and 
put the lid on Charlie Cameron in Saturday's prelim final. So there are assortment of different matchups, but that's where I think the two facets really lies, minimizing Brisbane's outside run, but also at the same time winning the clearances and the contested possession to give themselves every chance of getting through to the last dance. Absolutely. Two very exciting finals. I'm going to go for Collingwood and Brisbane, which is pretty boring, but I'm just going to tip the favourites because that's who I think is genuinely going to win the contest. Uh, Yuri, give us your tips for the weekend, please, mate. Yeah, so tipping the Magpies by three points on Friday night and tipping the Blues by seven points. Okay, he's gone for uh, Carlton and Collingwood grand final. Ash? I'll go for a Giants and Brisbane grand final. The AFL's worst nightmare, I'm pretty (laughs) sure. Um, Before we finish up tonight, lads, let's just quickly talk about some of the, I suppose, player movements and the trade period's going to come up and we are going to cover the trade period uh, on the podcast uh, when that does come around. We'll probably just do a show at the end of the trade period as after our grand final show. Um, So... There's been obviously a lot of talk about Port Adelaide with Asava Radagalia, Brandon Sertvacher, uh, Jordan Sweet, all requesting trades to Port Adelaide. Uh, those deals will get done, and I think uh, the Jordan Sweet deal will be very cheap in the scheme of things. Um, I think Essendon will be tough to negotiate with, as they always are. Bloody Dodoro. Um, and then I think... Um, the Asava Radagalia deal will get done. It's just will be about haggling what his value is there. Um, I suppose it is in Port Adelaide's favour compared to this time last year where, you know, radically it is out of contract this time. So Port Adelaide have a little bit more power in the scheme of things. I suppose the other big name um, or the other name, I should say, that is potentially on the move to Port Adelaide is Ivan Soldo from Richmond. So uh, obviously Scooter was has been Scott Lysette Scooter has been pretty banged up uh, over the last couple of years, and the uh, I suppose the durability on his body is probably starting to to run out. There is word that he'd be offered a one year deal by Port Adelaide, but he wants the security of two, and I believe Geelong is heavily uh, interested in recruiting another ruckman, considering Segler retired um, at the end of the season. The other one is Ben Mackay as well, the North Melbourne key defender. Uh, it has been pretty well confirmed that he wants to play in Victoria, so that rules out the Sydney Swans who were heavily chasing him. Uh, Hawthorne and Essendon are the two main suitors for him. Uh, and the other one is Jade Gresham, who looks likely to be heading to the Bombers at this point in time, um, hasn't performed in a contract year Um you know, there was heavy rumours that he would have gone to, to Carlton earlier in the season, but I think with Carlton's, you know, signing to Coning and Pitnett and now Jack Silvani, their salary cap is probably going to be extremely tight to facilitate uh, that move. The other thing that's, uh, I suppose, running around is uh, the Adelaide Crows are very interested in the Gold Coast Suns' Marbiol Chol. Uh, they believe that they can get him very cheaply and if they actually take the salary that Chol is on, Chol's on about 500000 um for the next two seasons. Port, uh, sorry, the Crows should be looking at trying to get a pick four um, in the drafts because Gold Coast need as many points as humanly possible in order to get their academy kids. So, uh, Yuri, any additional thoughts on 
trade period and which team are you looking forward to, uh, I suppose, finding the, finding out the most about? Yeah, it's going to be exciting, right, Carl? And we say it almost every trade period of at the conclusion of every season that it's the sort of they call it silly season in a way in the weeks in the lead up to. But I think Port Adelaide is the one I think that's already been highlighted, but that's going to be most fascinating just because we've already gone about it too. They're key areas that they really desperately needed to address, which they have now. So I think just depending on what deals get done, especially well. You touched upon perfectly too. Jordan Sweet, he barely played a game with the Western Bulldogs and was basically third rung in the Ruckman pecking order. So it's his opportunity now that he has to be the number one Ruckman. I think uh, he's basically entering his prime in a way too. He's 26 next year. So it's a really good chance for him to seize that mantle and to have that fresh start and just to really put his imprint forward. And also with... Asava Radigalia and Brandon Zerk Thatcher too. The Radigalia one also was even last year, Callum, it was circling around that Port Adelaide were already interested in him, interested in, in him, should I say. And his player manager, Scott Lucas, the former Eston 2000 Premiership player, had spoken about too, about the sort of the haggling here and there that didn't eventuate in the end. And sort of now they'll he'll get his wish a year later and Brandon Zerk Thatcher will... Everyone knows around the circuit that Essendon, in terms of playing hardball and trying to prolong the deal until basically the last, say, couple of hours of the trade period. So see what goes down in that in terms of what the Bombers want for compensation-wise. So it's it's truly fascinating just to see what else happens. And Jay Gresham too, that's the other big part to it as well. And I think maybe even like a Jeremy Sharp could be thrown about too because he didn't play a game this season for Gold Coast, and he's a WA product, and either whether West Coast or Fremantle have some interest in him. So that's one to look forward to as well. I definitely think that Jeremy Sharp will be going to Fremantle. They did try to get a deal done last year. Gold Coast wanted a, uh, I think it was like pick 19, which was the pick that Fremantle got for Griffin Logue. Um, but Fremantle weren't willing to part with that pick. They thought it was a bit too much. And Gold Coast used the he's in contract card, but I certainly think he makes his way back to WA and I'm pretty confident he make, makes his way back to Fremantle as well. Ash, any additional thoughts or rumours that are going around in Melbourne on the trade circuits? Nah, none for me. I reckon you've covered it pretty well. Very good, very good. Well, thank you so much for tuning into the Mojo Sports AFL show tonight. Ash, thanks for joining me, mate. Thanks, Calm. Yuri, thanks for coming on with us tonight. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me on, Callum. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much to those of you who are listening at home. Make sure that you tune into the show next week as we uh, review the preliminary finals and obviously look forward to the big dance on Saturday, September 30th. So stay tuned for the next episode. Take care, everyone. Cheers. (laughs) 